0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kascali Ribocyclib 200mg at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kascali Ribocyclib 200mg at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kascali is right for you.
1: There's only one place to be on the weekend in Indiana. It's Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Jimmy Cook. We enter our final hour of the program. Jake Query is going to join us a segment from now. Before all of that, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace will join us to take us through the Pacers draft outlook and some NBA finals chatter as well. But before even that happens, it's time to give the ball to the star of the show. It's Network Indiana's Eddie Garrison.
2: Thank you, Jay Cook. A pleasure to be with you and Graham Shearer tonight in Indianapolis, downtown Indianapolis. More specifically, earlier today, practice number six of OTAs for the Indianapolis Colts. In the books, they have four more entering the final week. Gardner Minshew was the big story today as he took all first team reps. For the Colts on offense and Anthony Richardson's reps were exclusively on the second team. Here's head coach Shane Steichen on the matter.
3: Yeah, I think just the way the reps were broke up. Uh we had the, you know, whatever the team drill where they split it up there, and then we had the seven on seven where they split it up, and then Garner went with the ones in that two minute, and then we just did two groups and then Anthony took the twos there in the two minute. But really pleased with where both those guys are at right now.
2: One key part of Anthony Richardson's growth this year will be learning from his mistakes. How's he doing so far, Coach Steichen?
3: He's been good. You know, I think with anything, you know, guys are going to make mistakes here and there, um, but you learn from them. You know what I mean? I think he's done a great job of learning from those mistakes and trying not to make those same mistakes twice. You know, I think that's the biggest thing with all players is don't make the same mistake twice, and it's our job as coaches uh, to coach them up uh, and get it right. But he's had a great mindset.
2: Steichen started off his press conference after practice today, stating that the Colts will do not one but two joint practices. They will do the One with the Chicago Bears... Then the next week they will do one with the Philadelphia Eagles. That'll be ahead of their final preseason game. Here's Shane Steichen on the benefit of joint practices during training camp. I think
3: camp. competing, uh, especially in training camp, I think it breaks camp up for players you know, to go compete against another opponent. You know, obviously you, you, know, you have these long days in practice uh, in training camp, but just to go compete another opponent in practice is, is a good breakup for camp. And then obviously going to Philly, we're playing there in the preseason, so we're going to do them there.
2: Now one of the best parts about OTAs and it being the off season, you get some of the best sound bites and some of the best stories, like Anthony Richardson going to CVS or Walmart to get some deodorant and some soap and not being recognized. Today it was Shane Steichen talking about. The team going bowling.
3: Bowling really was just, you know, a team building to break up OTAs, get those guys together, build that camaraderie. Like I said, just we're trying to build that chemistry throughout the team. We got new coaches, some new players. Uh, but I think when you do that, I always say this to the guys like, when you're connected, you're committed. And, you know, when you know those guys, you know, and you're really close to them, you're going to go a little bit, you know, harder for them. But just to do that off the field stuff, not just so much in the building, but doing, you know, barbecues and bowling or whatever it may be uh, to get those guys connected, players and coaches. Uh,
2: huge training camp for the indianapolis colts will start at the end of july minor league baseball today the indianapolis indians they defeat the toledo Hens for the third time through four games and all of their wins they've scored more than 10 runs that's the case tonight 11 to zip a big offensive output today 12 hits in total for the tribe as they're now 26 and 28 Toledo drops to 24-30. and 30. The South Bend Cubs and the Fort Wayne 10 Caps. Tonight was game four and coming into tonight's series game. Chicago, uh, South Bend had won two games and Fort Wayne had won one. Well, the series is now tied at two games apiece. Fort Wayne 10 Caps take game four. Final score, four to three. College baseball today. Regionals going on in the NCAA. Indiana State, they'll advance on to the semifinal, per se, of their own regional. They come back and defeat the Wright State Raiders 6-5. The Sycamores score three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning to secure their 43rd win of the season. The Indiana Hoosiers, they put up a dozen in their win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. 12-6 was the final score. IU will face Kentucky tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Indiana State
1: will play the Iowa Hawkeyes. Guys, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm your host, Jimmy Cook. Graham Shearer behind the glass, doing a great job guiding us through the evening. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. We've hit on plenty with the Indianapolis Colts to this point. It's time to see what the Indiana Pacers are up to. Of course, not a ton of basketball right now as the NBA Finals are down to the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets, but the draft chatter has arrived. And we turn now to one of the very best that covers the Pacers present day. He's Alex Golden of Setting the Pace, taking some time with us here on a Friday night. Alex, what's going on? Jimmy, what's going
4: on, man? How you doing?
1: Hanging in there. Can't complain. Another great Friday night in Indiana, and we are another day closer to finding out what draft night will hold for the Indiana Pacers. I know that you've been all over this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut right to the chase. Alex, there are a handful of players that I don't know what their best fit would be with this Pacers team. And one of them, even though he's a very talented player, is Kansas's Grady Dick. Now, when you look at him as a whole package, though, whether it is his occasional struggles on defense, whether it is his ability, though, as a knockdown shooter, how does that all balance out for him as a prospect? And is there any real scenario where he is who the Pacers end up with? And if so, why should I or maybe am I in the right to be a little concerned for how he would fit here in Indiana?
4: Yeah, I think Grady Dick is an interesting prospect because we know what he can do well. He can really put the ball in the basket, and he's a lights-out shooter. His defense is a little bit you know, suspect, but I don't see any way the Pacers take him at seven. I think that he's probably at ten, probably the highest I can see him going, maybe nine, but I think Grady Dick is one of those classic, you know what you're going to get when you bring him in. He's not going to be a star, but He's going to be a guy that's like a rotational guy, like a a Bojan Bogdanovich type guy, a good piece on a team, but never going to be one, two, or three on your options in terms of what you're looking to build. So I I think that you have concerns uh, about Grady Dick, especially at seven. Like, yeah, they take him at seven. They are definitely reaching for the stars there, and they're never going to catch him. So uh, Grady Dick, good player, but not not anywhere near close to top
1: ten. All right. Well, that relieves me a little bit. Alex Golden with us of setting the pace here on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I want to throw out one scenario that's unlikely to happen and then one scenario that's more probable to happen and and walk me through where the reactions would be on your end covering this team. I really, really like Brandon Miller. I know he's the last tier of high price to go get guys within the top three of this draft. Webb and Yama off the table. Scoot Henderson likely off the table. Brandon Miller in Portland still might cost you a pretty penny, but it's doable. Is it something you could see the Pacers giving up the cost to go move up to three? Would he fit well here? And on the other side of that coin, more realistic options for the Pacers in that five to seven rings that you think make the most sense for the Pacers at seven?
4: Yeah. So I, I would definitely say if the Pacers have the assets to get up to number three, it all depends on how much of the Pacers actually believe in Brandon Miller. I think that based on the reactions I've gotten, it's been very torn. I think some fans believe that he is, you know, got shades of the next Paul George in today's NBA, but some people think that he's not got that in him and that, you know, his struggles in the tournament were uh, more than just the injury that he was dealing with. So I think that there's some people that don't fully believe that he can be that player, but, for my personal opinion, I think that he can be, and I just don't think you can uh, overvalue a six-foot-nine wing that has those capabilities. Even if he fails, I would like the Pacers to be aggressive and, and swing and miss, then not swing and miss, and go not a safe route, but, you know, stay at seven. They're, they're going to get a good player at seven if they stay there. I have no doubt about that. I think... The guys that have constantly been in that group, someone that just worked out, Cam Webmore, Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, I think those are the three most likely. And I would say that Jairus Walker feels like the most likely right now just based on everything that he brings to the table in terms of probably the most ready out of those three. But um, I like Taylor Hendricks upside a little bit more than Jairus Walker. But, yeah, I think if they have the opportunity to trade up for Brandon Miller, The reactions would be split, but I think over time, give it a year or so, and Brandon Miller starts balling out, people are not going to care about the assets they gave up as much, and and they'll be full on. If you've got a big three of Ben Mather and Tyrese Halliburton and Brandon Miller, you figure out the rest of it later. You don't rush the rebuild uh, to try to make the playoffs next year because you had some success this season. I think you have to continue looking big picture, and the roster you currently have, is not going to get you to the championship. But if Brandon Miller becomes, you know, let's just start out there, someone like a Jason Tatum, is that a good enough player to get you to an Eastern Conference Finals with a chance to get there? I think so. So you have to make that bet, and I think it really just depends on how you value him. But I say if the Pacers think he has that in him,
0: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: He's worth trading what you have to trade to get up there. He's Alex Golden. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Golden. NBA covers the Pacers for setting the pace on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alex, have a great weekend, my friend. All right. You guys have a good one. Thank you. When we return... After a scoreboard update, we'll have a conversation with Jake Query, 500 Colts, Pacers, and more on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. With this Indiana Sports Talk scoreboard update, I'm Eddie Garrison.
2: Major League Baseball ongoing now in San Diego. 2-0. Advantage Chicago Cubs is are in the top of the sixth inning. Dansby Swanson goes yard in the top of the fifth. A wall scraper, but... That doesn't matter as long as it goes over the fence. Cubs advantage, 2-0. Jamison Taillon has only surrendered one hit. He has struck out three batters, and he has yet to issue a walk. The only player with that hit, Fernando Tatis Jr., and that came in the fifth inning. Dan Swanson has two of the three hits for the Chicago Cubs. Going on right now elsewhere, Arizona Diamondbacks, Atlanta Braves 3-2. That's in the top of the seventh. The Toronto Blue Jays, they were down one to nothing until Dalton, Far- Dalton Farshow hit a three-run home run in the top of the ninth. And now they're leading three to one. Dodgers-Yankees, that's in L.A., 7-2 advantage in favor of the Dodgers. Giancarlo Stanton with the home run in the top of the fourth inning in his return off the injured list. In the bottom of the fourth, they're all tied up at two between the San Francisco Giants and the Baltimore Orioles. Games that have already gone final, St. Louis Cardinals-Pittsburgh Pirates 7-5 victory for the Buccos. Their game over 500 again at 28-27. The Cardinals were leading this game 5 to nothing until a six spot in the sixth for the Pirates gave them the lead. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison.
1: This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. There's not enough time to bore our Indiana audience with my feelings on Eddie Garrison continuing to slap me in the face with the Yankee scoreboard updates, but hey, Stanton and Donaldson Homer on their first game back, I'll take that baby. Hey, there was it no is. it
2: was no slap. I was just giving the scores. Like
1: I went like, through all like, the
2: games that are still going on.
1: Like the proper objective newsman that you are, and I tip the cap to you for your unbiased personality and, and your dedication to this craft.
2: And it wasn't the first one that I gave either. It, it wasn't.
1: Was, it, it was wasn't the, the second first to last. It wasn't the last, yeah, so it was well, well hidden. One could say you hit it in there in the right spot. Yeah, see? Uh, well done. Bravo yeah. to you. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the show. Okay. <laughs> it's Eddie Garrison <laughs> on Scoreboard <laughs> Updates this evening. Graham Shear behind the glass doing a great job guiding us through the evening and keeping us on the rails See if we can't get off those rails a little bit with our next guest. He is one half of our sister station's morning show, Kevin and Query, from 7 to 10 a.m. on 9351075 The Fan. He is Jake Query. Nice enough to take some time with us this evening. Jake, any off-the-rails action for you tonight?
5: My entire life is (laughs) off-the-rails. I haven't been on the rails since, like, fourth grade, probably.
1: (laughs) Was that before or after the uh, elementary uh, spelling bee runner-up trophy?
5: Yeah, I was completely hosed in the 1984 Allisonville Elementary School spelling bee. Thank you for asking. Car fare was the word that I had to spell. And I got to C-A-R-F-A. And then I thought and I envisioned a car with like the parking lot and breaking away with a bunch of banners around it. And I went with I-R. I think I knew right away that I, I screwed up. And so... Jody Shear then had to spell car hop. I still consider this one of the great injustices of all time. I mean, this would be like in the NCAA tournament. You know what I mean? Like one team has to beat, you know, whatever, Kentucky, and the other has to beat like UC Santa Barbara. It's like, come on, man. Like this isn't even –
1: but they're both four so, seeds, you know, and, and, and one clearly got an easier path. I understand. I understand.
5: I mean, just absurd. But I did get a free Ocean Pacific t-shirt out of it from my mom, so that was cool.
1: It's high quality. That's awesome. I, uh, I I always like to snag one or two things from the bios every now and again. It just happened to work out that way, so I'm sorry to have to have to bring up a dark day in the jQuery uh Upbringing, but uh, that, oh, one, that was good stuff. Oh, sweat two, three times a year over. that's cool. No worries. Speaking of potential cold sweats and regret and frustration, one could make the case that that would be fair to be expected from Marcus Erickson after the way things went down at the 107th running in was 500. I want to address this on the front end with you, and you and I have talked about this in passing off air in the past, that being the one of the younger members of of our Radio 1 Urban 1 conglomerate. I like the high past gimme, gimme, gimme now mentality to the point that I was happy to see green flag racing to end this race. I want you to take us back into the booth from your end. Did it catch you off guard that that was ultimately the decision that they made? Because it appeared to, at least from Erickson's camp, in the comments he made afterwards and the radio chatter that was happening, that he felt like he had the thing won, grabbing the lead before it went to that third and final caution to Red.
5: Yeah, it was a little bit chaotic towards the end, admittedly. Now, for those that are unfamiliar, so I'm on the radio broadcast for IndyCar Radio, and I my responsibility is turn number three. So I'm just on a platform atop the Northeast Vista. So, you know, it's not like I have... Now, we have producers that have timing and scoring and race control in their ear, and they relay that to us. So, I mean, we have... Pretty much instantaneous knowledge of what's going on but to, to, to back it up jimmy first off when when rosenquist and kyle kirkwood had their incident that was the first red flag and that one i understood because i think they had i think the safer barrier was compromised and so at that point it's not unprecedented that they would bring out a red flag if there's like a fence repair or a wall repair or whatever so then at that point, and I, I'm probably jumbled here on, on thinking of this. I believe Pato was in the lead at that point, and if you think about the restart of that red flag, I can't remember if that if it was that one or not. I think it was that one. Pato Award, they 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 delayed the start by a lap because he was so slow off pace, and the reason that he was so slow off pace is because he was trying to keep the field at bay behind him as as the person in charge of the pace because he knew that at speed, if you're up front, aerodynamically speaking, you're a sitting duck, and the car behind you is going to be able to use that, that aerodynamic assistance to slingshot past you. So he was trying to keep everybody slowed down so that then everybody was getting a jump at the same time and the draft would be less. So I get what he was doing. But then the second red flag came after the incident when Pato himself hit the wall. And what's interesting is when, when Pato hit the wall in turn three below me, I just remember he hit the wall. I saw he and Erickson going side-by-side side in the battle for second. And then Pato hit the wall. And I remember in my mind looking up into turn four to see if Erickson had caught up with Newgarden. Because I knew the caution was coming out. And my assumption at that point, Jimmy, honestly, was that the race was over because that's what I've been conditioned to. I mean, I've been to 38 Indy 500s and not many, you know, only I think 19% of the races all time have finished under caution. So typically they do finish under green, but it's not unprecedented. And so I looked up because I thought to myself, if there are two more cars involved here, which there were, this, is, this caution is going to take long enough that whoever has the lead right now is going to win the race. So at that point, I just considered that Newgarden was going to, to win the race under caution. Then they red flagged that, and I understand that because they still had a handful of laps remaining, and they wanted to finish under green. That I understand. They red flagged it one more time at that point, I mean. Mm-hmm. And then when Newgarden had to restart – that's when Erickson, because technically you can pass as soon as the green comes out. Not, it doesn't matter when you get to the line. Once the green's out, the track is open. So, he, you know, obviously he gets passed by Erickson. And then further back, after Erickson had, had made that pass, you have Benjamin Peterson and Carpenter, you know, get involved in a melee. So then the caution comes out again, and that's when they decided to red flag it. And at that point, Erickson was the sitting duck. And of course, there was only one lap left, so he didn't have time to make up for it. I think the overall long-winded and circuitous solution, and I don't know that it's a problem that needs a solution per se, but I do feel like, and I understand the necessity for the green finish. I get it. I mean, it's it's obviously exhilarating, and it's obviously preferred overseeing them roll under caution. But it is a 500-mile race, not 502.5, not 505, not green-white checker. And, you know, right. it's a 500-mile race. So my solution would be, no one will ever ask me, but if they did, I, I, I understand the red flag necessity. and, and does Well, not, necessity is the wrong word. I understand the red flag motivation. Mm-hmm. But I would say that, that there needs to be a lap cap where they say, okay, we will throw the red flag if we feel like that's what we need to do to precipitate finishing under green, but we're not going to do it, let's say, after lap 197 or whatever it may be to prevent just that one lap sitting duck incident. In other words, you want to give at least two green flag laps so that there can be an alternation at the front and the best car ends up winning. Nobody's going to ask me that. That would be my opinion. But as it is, it was a fabulous finish. It was exciting. And realistically, the guy that won the race is the guy that in the old format would have won anyway, because they would have finished under caution.
1: I want to dive a little bit deeper into that and dive into Marcus Erickson's comments about it being unfair, but also dangerous of having that one lap shootout when we come back in our next segment, would you by chance have a little bit of time to stick with us through this commercial break? All righty, We'll have Jake query back with us here in just a little bit. Again, as I mentioned, you can listen to him. Weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. on our sister station, 935-1075, the fan Kevin query, And, of course, he's a part of the IndyCar Radio Network. We'll go further within that controversial finish. Get Jake's thoughts as well on Colts OTAs when we return here on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports
2: Talk. They're in the Terre Haute Regional. They're hosting their own regional. They had to come from behind to defeat the Wright State Raiders 6 to 5. But, nonetheless... They continue on in the winner's portion of the bracket. They scored three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning to pick up their 6-5 victory. They'll face the Iowa Hawkeyes tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock. The Indiana Hoosiers and the Ball State Cardinals are both in the Lexington Regional. At noon today, the Ball State Cardinals, they lost to the Kentucky Wildcats. They got shut out four to nothing. And then tonight, they started at 6. The Indiana Hoosiers and the West Virginia Mountaineers final score with the Hoosiers coming out on top. Tomorrow afternoon, Hoosiers will take on the Kentucky Wildcats. That's at 6 o'clock, but before that, in the elimination bracket, it's Ball State in West Virginia at noon. Winner of that game will play the loser of IU-Kentucky. That game will be at noon on Sunday afternoon. And if necessary, a game... Championship, that is, to decide who the winner is of the Lexington Regional. If the team coming out of the loser bracket wins will be on Monday. College basketball, tom- baseball tomorrow. The UND Greyhounds, they'll be in action. It's their first regional
1: in over five years. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I am Jimmy Cook, in for the coach, Bob Lovell. Resuming our conversation with Jake Query, one half of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. on our sister station, ninety three five one zero seven five The Fan, of course, as well, co-host of Query and Schultz on the ISC Sports Network. Jake, we were discussing a little bit before we went to break regarding the green flag decision and the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. One quote that stood out to me, and I understand half of it. I would like you to clarify for our audience as well as for me the second half of this, and that's from Marcus Erickson asked post-race regarding... His feeling on all of it, he said unfair and dangerous for a green flag one-lap finale to close things out. Again, I know that you've mentioned you understand the the gratification want of a green flag, but you also get the storied history of this event of there is no additional add-ons like in NASCAR. It is what it is. You're going 500 miles and that's the end of it. But the dangerous aspect of that, in that scenario, where was the, the risk of danger any more so inherently present when these drivers are going full throttle throughout the course of a race in a one-lap shootout?
5: It's a very good question, and probably 10% of the answer is tempered by the fact that you're catching Erickson in the moment right there where a circumstance was created that made it difficult for him to win the race. Now, the best way, and I'm going to answer this, Jimmy, not condescendingly at all, with the understanding that the vast majority of people listening to us right now are not nuanced race fans, right? And I totally understand and appreciate that. So the easiest way that I can answer it is this.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
5: Have you ever been driving on the interstate and you get... Just in the corner, if you will, next to a semi. So, in other words, like your front right bumper is right kind of aligned to the semi to your right on its rear bumper. Mm -hmm. So, you're, you know, you're side by side with it. But you can feel like this wind coming off of the the semi and it almost makes you nervous because your car doesn't, is like unsettled, right? Like you're like, it almost feels like your car's getting blown around a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah so you so you accelerate so that you're alongside the semi and then all of a sudden that wind goes away and you finally get in front of it and you pass it and you're like thank goodness that was really uncomfortable i didn't like the way the wind was like moving me around well that happens in racing and what what happens is when you're going in a straight line the wind is the same that wind turbulence is the same each and every time so if you are in front of me You are the one that's your your car is cutting through the air and the air is going off the top of your car. And as I get close to you, once I get to about four car lengths of you, the fact that you are clearing that air for me means that I don't have any resistance on the front of my car. Thus, I'm able to get speed and go around you. Okay, and in a straight line speed that happens and it happens fairly organically. What Marcus Erickson is alluding to is that when everyone knows there's only one lap left, then the driver in the lead intentionally starts zigging back and forth across the track so that the driver behind them never gets an opportunity to get that aerodynamic assistance. And as a result, the driver in front with the lead is creating that effect that the semi gives you on the interstate all the time, where the air is constantly hitting your car and making it more challenging for the second-place car to hold control of his car. And in addition to that, the driver that is doing the maneuvering back and forth is basically being forced to put his car in grooves or in lines that are not consistent with where the car has gone for the previous 199 laps, which means where rubber has been laid down and the grip is better and where things are just a little bit safer in terms of being glued to the track. It is putting the lead driver in position to compromise the safety of his line in order to aerodynamically disrupt the guy behind him, which also then makes it dangerous for car number two.
1: Jake Query with us of 9351075, The Fan co to Kevin and query seven to 10 a.m. on our sister station last question on the 500 and then I want to pivot a little bit to Colts and if we have time perhaps some pacers you mentioned that and correct me if I'm wrong on this but awards crash around lap 192 is right where you were in turn three correct correct from your vantage point at that point in the race did Pato Award have every other or any other options in terms of his goal to try to retake the lead in those final eight laps or so? Because from the rewatch and then from hearing you guys give the call on the IndyCar Radio Network, it felt like a do-or-die moment where he really felt like he did not have any other options but to go for the pass there on Erickson.
5: I think Kevin Bowen hit on this brilliantly on Monday when we talked about it. A year ago, Pato Award Marcus Erickson – It was the two guys that came down to it on the final restart. And Marcus Erickson had the lead going into turn one, and Pato had a run on him, but wasn't able to close the pass in time, and so he got out of the throttle. I think that weighed into his mind when he went into turn three. He did have a run towards the bottom of the racetrack, but I thought Erickson kept his line. I thought that Pato was not able to complete the pass from the underneath in time and probably should have backed out. The answer, in my opinion, the answer to your question is the option that he would have had was to simply tuck back, and he had eight more laps and 32 more turns to make that pass on Erickson. Now, obviously, he wanted to get up to the position to the leader, but Newgarden wasn't running away from them either. So I think it was an aggressive move by Pato Award. That's kind of who Pato Award is. He's a massive talent. Um, And it's interesting because I think a year ago he showed a very mature decision and backing out of the throttle when it wasn't there for him on that particular corner, but it might have cost him the race. In this particular situation, I thought he showed the opposite of that. I thought he was overly aggressive. I get that. He's a race car driver, and I totally applaud that. But with aggression also should come some ability to discern when it's time to to let it go and in that moment, and I'll, I'll defer to Davey Hamilton, our driver analyst on the radio network, who, you know, is an Indy 500 veteran. And Davey's like, look, that's on that's on Pato. Like, he, he went in, he had an opening, he took it, but he wasn't able to close it fast enough. And it, he should have had the presence of mind to back out and try it again.
1: Last, last Indy 500 question. We talked about the green flag debate earlier. I remember back in the in the COVID year for the 500 when the race was run in August, Takuma Sato obviously winning under caution. Where are we trending in this regard? Is this a one-off or do you envision, if it comes down to it, a clear shift in ideology with IMS of when to and when not to utilize a red flag that late in the race? I know you gave what your theory would be on it, but in terms of their mindset, is there any impact by this decision for future 500s?
5: I think a lot of it's going to be whether or not and when they eventually go to a different chassis and different. You know, the reality is they've been running the same chassis and, and engine combinations for a decade now, and so the teams have just kind of figured everything out. So once you get to the point where you have four different teams that are all have four different ideas how their car runs, and so therefore there's a natural disparity amongst the cars. Then it changes things a little bit. I think the red flag maybe came out of necessity of trying to separate the pack a little bit because things are very even. Um, So I I think it will be explored, you know, I think that, but I don't think that it will be a rule book thing in terms of the red flag as much as things they can do for the on-track racing that would prohibit that necessity for a dash at the end. I also think, you know, with all all of that said um, I think the one thing that they will look at more than the red flag is what we were just talking about, which is basically what they call the dragon, which is what Newgarden did at the end there of sweeping his car all over the place. When they came off to of turn four, you mentioned that race with Sato. That race was ended because Spencer Piggott basically completely perpendicularly went into the attenuator wall, the wall that separates the grid. From we got
1: less than a minute. I just want to throw that out there for you. So yeah, I have to the, the wall can. that
5: separates the straightaway from pit lane, Spencer Piggott blasted it at the end of that race. Newgarden went down below it, and mm-hmm. Erickson went where he did. They're going to have to make it some sort of a look at that.
1: No, I agree. And even on the replay, that was very odd and, and 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 scary for certain. Obviously, glad everybody was okay. Jake went a little long, but anytime I can absorb your IndyCar knowledge, I'm always happy to do it. Even if we pass them my, the Colts,
5: my Colts OTA answer for you is it's June second.
1: <laughs> That's as good as any. Have a great weekend, Jake. All
5: right, man. We'll see
1: you. That's Jake Query. Host to Kevin and Query on 93.5 5, 107.5. The fan, Brendan King, will join us to the South Bend Cubs when we come back. Get a little Cubbies update. See how they're doing on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Eight.
2: I'm Eddie Garrison. Let's highlight as many scores as we can in the final update of the night. In the seventh inning right now, the Cubs lead the Padres 2-1. to one. Dansby Swanson's solo home run in the top of the fifth inning is the deciding factor right now. Jamison Tyone. Five and two thirds, three hits, one earned, three strikeouts. St. Louis Cardinals, they were leading 5-0. They lose 7-5 as the Pittsburgh Pirates come from behind and defeat the Cardinals 7-5. Pittsburgh now 28 and 27. The Cardinals are 25 and 32. The Minnesota Twins defeat the Cleveland Guardians 1 0. Minnesota now 30 and 27. Cleveland, 25 and 31. The Detroit Tigers, they get shut out by the Chicago White Sox, 3 0. Chicago now 23 35. Detroit, twenty. 20- 26 and 28. In 11 innings, the Milwaukee Brewers defeat the Cincinnati Reds 5-4. The Reds only muster three hits in total as they're now 26-31 and the Brewers are 30-27. Minor League Baseball, the Indianapolis Indians defeat the Toledo Mudhens 11-0. They pick up their 26th win of the season. The Fort Wayne Tincaps, they tie up the series at two games apiece with the South Bend Cubs after defeating the Cubs 4-3. All scoring was done in two innings, four runs for the Fort Wayne 10 caps in the third, three for the South Bend Cubs in the eighth inning. College Baseball, Indiana State defeats Wright State 6-5. IU defeats West Virginia 12-6. And Ball State gets shut out by Kentucky 4-0. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison.
1: This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk Special. Thank you to Eddie Garrison. Doing a great job on sports updates throughout the evening. Be sure to stick around for our final segment. We'll get Eddie's thoughts as well as... Our producer extraordinaire, Graham Shears, thoughts for what's happening this sports weekend and what they're most looking forward to. Always a great way to close out the show. But first, we always enjoy closing the show with our next guest. He's Brendan King. The fans, very own. Our sister station's very own. Network Indiana's very own. And of course, the voice of the South Bend Cubs, BK, this series against... The tin caps had a little bit of everything. We've had tons of runs. We had a one to nothing shutout the other day and then a four three loss tonight. Where has this series that's given you a little bit of everything taken you so far for the South Bend Cubs? Jay Cook,
6: appreciate the time as always. Yeah, it's been a funky series for sure. Um, you know, a lot of big prospects on both sides. Jackson Merrill is the number one overall prospect in the Padres' org, and he plays for Fort Wayne. as their everyday shortstop. And you know, it's kind of interesting, Jay Cook, because at one point the Tin caps were the kings of prospects in this league, and they still are. But, you know, everybody and their brother plays for the Padres now at the big league level. And in order to do that, you're going to need to give up some big prospects. So that's a big reason of why Fort Wayne's in the caboose of their division. But they've played well this week. But at the same time, you know, be it a loss today, South Bend's gotten solid performances, especially from our three hitter James Triantos, number 11 overall Cubs prospect, former second round pick, still just 20 years old. Jimmy, Um, he's hitting 320 plus since coming up to South Bend about two weeks ago. So uh, it's been a prospect driven series, and it should be a fun weekend.
1: Where does the series shift, if at all, for the Cubs, or how do they turn the tide the rest of the weekend? You mentioned that at 6.35 Eastern time, first pitch tomorrow, and then one o five p.m. on Sunday.
6: Yeah, I think it's continuing to pitch well out of the pen, especially, Jimmy. Joe Nahas went three and a third innings tonight, gave the Gave us a chance to win. Uh, He faced 10 batters, got them all out. And again, that's three and a third perfect innings, Jay Cook. Uh, He only needed 28 pitches to get the job done with those 10 hitters too. So his best outing of the year for sure. Uh, And definitely the bullpen advantage has gone to South Bend over the last few days. And, you know, Jimmy, you know it as well as I do. That's how you win ballgames.
1: Where does Tail Wagon Tuesday rank on your favorite days <laughs> of the year as that's coming up on Tuesday when you're back uh, in the friendly confines South Bend edition?
6: Man, it'll be good to get a nice Tail Wagon Tuesday because the fir- the first few Tuesdays, Jimmy, of the year, uh, our lone walk-off win came in April, and it was on a freezing cold Tuesday, and then by Saturday it was like 75 degrees. So we really haven't had a great chance to welcome the pups to the four Winds field yet but uh that'll be nice on tuesday looks like some beautiful weather as lansing comes to town
1: i close with this bk you've waited your whole life for this moment tomorrow night 8 p.m game one of the stanley cup finals the florida panthers against the vegas golden knights there's my pa audition tape right there uh you have about a minute or so what are you most looking forward to? Why do the Panthers take this thing?
6: Man, Jimmy, this just feels like a team of destiny. I know that is a term that gets thrown around quite a bit, but I do know at the same time that this is going to be the toughest series yet. You take into everything of the three teams that you've already played, Jimmy, with Boston, Toronto, and Carolina, take the best parts of those three and put them all in one with the Vegas Golden Knights. Bruce Cassidy's their coach, former coach of the Bruins. Uh, He built that Bruins team into what they are today. Now he's coaching in Vegas. And actually, fun fact, Bruce Cassidy, former Indianapolis ice head coach. He used to call Indy home. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, Toronto's speed. Vegas has got that. Carolina's penalty kill ability. Vegas has got that. So, Jimmy, everything's going to have to go perfectly. But look at Sergey Bobrovsky, what he's done in the playoffs. Look at Matty Kachuk, what he continues to do with those overtime thrillers. I'm confident. Can't wait, and uh, hopefully we'll be hoisting the cup here soon, my friend.
1: Hashtag time to hunt, baby. Can't wait. Enjoy it, VK. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jimmy. That's Brendan King, voice of the South Bend Cubs. Stanley Cup Finals Game 1, NBA Finals Game 2. Plenty to look at. What are we most looking forward to for the sports weekend? We'll discuss with Graham and Eddie when we return on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, and Graham Shear for the final time. Thanks so much for spending part of your Friday night with us here on IST. Gentlemen, we've waited long enough. It's a monster sports weekend. We have so much going on: French Open getting underway, the Memorial Tournament on the PGA Tour circuit, Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals. We have, of course, Game Two of the NBA Finals. You could watch people play pickleball at your local park. Of course, then you could also watch the Reds play. There's so much you could possibly do with your weekend. (laughs) Uh, I will defer to either one of you who wants to lead off. Graham or Eddie, what are you most looking forward to this sports weekend?
2: I'm I'm looking forward to more 8-2 L's. (laughs)
1: well played i couldn't resist It's only because of eddie a lot of my family members are reds fans I, I enjoy the reds great american ballpark took great care of me and my wife and my friends as we saw the yankees sweep them uh last weekend or two weekends ago so
2: uh i don't know about you jay cook but i'm gonna have my eyes on probably some college baseball this is the best time to watch college baseball in my opinion you got the road to Omaha, uh, Indiana, Indiana State, and Ball State all in action. And then it may sprinkle in some alma mater action as well. Uh, I, and Graham can probably speak more about them than I can. But Wendy, uh, in action tomorrow for the Super Regional uh, and the Division Two NCAA baseball tournaments.
6: Yeah, they're in North Carolina, and they're hitting the ball really, really well right now. I'm excited to see if they can go another week because they – they're they're hitting they're seeing the ball and they are swinging the bat really well right now.
1: So college baseball is your choice as well. No. Graham,
6: in that regard. College baseball would not be my choice. My my cliche choice would be game one of the Stanley Cup finals uh final I should say. Um
2: Well, here's the thing. You can do all of it. Like the Stanley true. Cup finals is in the evening. You've got baseball during
1: the yep. day. Like, there you go. He's a wise man on our update desk. Can't do that. The top one on my
6: list is the NBA Finals. I mean, I'm rooting hard for the Miami Heat just because they're the underdog right now, but I want to see Jimmy Butler cook.
1: Nobody is going to enjoy what I'm about to say, but I'm telling you to give it a chance, okay? We've continued to try to push the beautiful game within this country, and we've seen rise on it for certain. But imagine if there were three Lombardi trophies you could win in a given calendar year. That is what's on the line right now for Manchester City across the pond. Of course, I'm talking about soccer here. They are trying to complete what only one other team has done in Manchester United in winning all three of those trophies. They've won the Premier League, which is their you know, their, their own league itself over in Europe, in England, the English Football League. They have also, on the doorstep of winning an FA Cup, which they'll play Manchester United, who is the last team to Win all three trophies, so they're trying to stop them. It's like you know Yankees-Red Sox right there in Manchester City, Manchester United. And then, of course, next weekend is the Champions League final. Man City is as fun as any team you could ask to see if you're trying to just get into soccer for the first time. I'm not I recommend that if you want to give a look at it. Not a fan of them. That's all right. Again, not a lot of people are, but they play a fun, high-attacking brand of football would you like I've to know that why? kind of things if you can get it in here i gotta wrap up here in a second our favorite show jimmy that's all i'll say okay it's a little ted lasso nod special thanks to tom noy jake query alex golden and casey valier of course to graham Shear and eddie garrison as well i am jimmy cook thanks for joining us on the electric network indiana's indiana sports talk